And for our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the gospel according to Luke in Luke chapter 12. We'll continue in our study of Luke chapter 12. And this week we will begin reading at verse 13. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a rich of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This far our scripture reading. Dear congregation, our focus for this morning will be the entire section of chapter 12 that we read this morning, uh, beginning at verse 13. And I do that intentionally to, to try to connect all the different parables and stories that the Lord brings to show 
how Luke ties them together for our learning. And I had actually intended to preach this sermon last week, but then we had an exchange, and I realized that Pastor Prose had preached on this very passage, but with a, a bit of a different angle and approach. So I thought it was still fitting to preach this sermon today, also realizing some of you likely never heard the sermon last week. And so today, we want to consider the need to have an eternal perspective for all our possessions in life. To have an eternal perspective on all our possessions in this life. In the beginning of Luke chapter 12, as we saw last time, Jesus was teaching on, on, on our heart matters, on showing how God cares for all our spiritual needs, even in times of great distress, and, and how, how God promises even to give His Holy Spirit when, when we are in these difficult times. And He promised to give His Holy Spirit at times when we are brought before uh, courts or the magistrates, He said. And at that time, He calls us to confess the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the most difficult of circumstances, and to trust God for all our needs. And He warned us of of hypocrisy. He warned us of having a mere external religion that would not stand in these, these types of times. And the question we had presented last time was, was this, are we looking for acceptance with people on this earth? Or are we looking for acceptance with God in heaven? Because that will determine how we respond to difficulties in our life, to opposition. But today, we want to ask this question. Are we looking for possessions on this earth? Or are we looking for possessions in heaven with God in eternity? Or as Jesus would uh, sometimes write, he says, where is your treasure? Look where your treasure is, because that is where you will find your heart also. And so as we began reading this chapter, we see that Jesus was teaching. And in verse 13, suddenly this man comes and he he interrupts his teaching. And it was like this man was just waiting for an opportunity to to jump in with his case, with his, his problems, and to present him to the Lord Jesus. And you have to think that either this man was not paying attention really to what Jesus was saying at all, and he was just looking for a break in his talking to to jump in, or if he was listening, he was trying to use what Jesus was saying to his own advantage, trying to use religion to justify his approach here now. But it seems that this man is so consumed by his concern for his money and his possessions, that it's like he thinks that his whole life consists of what he possesses. He wants that inheritance, it says, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 13, he, he asked him to help his brother divide the inheritance. And so he had his eye on, on that inheritance, he had his eye on the value of that, that farm or whatever it was, and he wants that for himself so he can have it for his family and likely pass it on to his children And he thinks that this is what he needs to be happy and successful for himself and for his family. And it seems like he can't move on until this is settled. And for whatever reason, he's not getting it. 
It doesn't say if he has a legal right to this inheritance or not. It appears he probably does because it's called an inheritance and his brother has it. And so it seems that he likely should have part of it. But Jesus, instead of answering his question, he, he uses this opportunity to point out the corruption of our human hearts. And Jesus had warned about hypocrisy before because he shows how easily we can overlook sins in our hearts while pretending even to be religious or right. And then in so doing, we, we try to cover up our sinful motives and, and our desires. And the result is that we live in unrepented sins, which will often lead to further sins. And as Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, he said, Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So in this passage, as we want to look at, we see how Jesus is teaching us then how to rightly or how faithfully respond to possessions in this world. And that's our theme. Responding faithfully to our to possessions or to the possessions we have. And the first thing Jesus does is to warn us now of covetousness. And so our first thought is, do not be covetous, but content. And then if you look in verse 14, we can read the warning that Jesus gives us. In verse 14, and he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. He's saying, that's not what your life is all about. Your life does not consist in how much you own in this world. The value of your life is not determined by what you have. Because in fact, often we can see the very opposite. That there are those who who have many possessions on this earth. and, And yet... In, in reality, they're empty, empty spiritually because they're depending on the emptiness and the, and the vanishing goods of this world. It's like they're chasing the wind. And in seeking to illustrate how foolish it is to, to be covetous and to, and to chase the possessions of this world, he tells this parable of the rich farmer. He, it shows this parable, uh, this rich farmer, how, his, how he had a selfish focus in, of his covetous heart, that that's all about me, all about himself. If you look at verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See how it's all about what he will do, what I think, what I will do, how I can benefit. It's a selfish and a greedy outlook that he has. 
Even if we try to justify it by saying that, well, I'm doing it for my children, for my family, or I have a legal right to it, like this man says. But the focus here is still on what I will do, how I can be set for life. And isn't it the case that how often we can be so focused, even, even subtly, and that we think if our bank accounts are full, full enough, then, then we can be comfortable and have, have it easy for the rest of our life. But even if we accumulate wealth in this world, how many times do we not hear of those people who were very successful in business, built a big house, had their retirement place or their cabin, and whatever else they had, and their life was ended before they could even use it? Or if we think now of this past week, where people had bank accounts full of money and the government froze them. No more access. Money can often be a strong weapon in this world. What about the government's threats of of freezing the charitable status of people who don't want to comply with their views? If you think of the farms and the churches in Nigeria who have been attacked in these past years and they've been burned, they've had everything stolen and they're left with nothing. We see the war in Ukraine. There's people fleeing now with, with whatever they can carry. Everything is left behind. What will be there when they come back? Revelation 13 speaks of a time that is coming when, when no one can buy or sell without the mark of the beast. What good does a barn full of money do? What good does a bank full of money do if we can't use it? But what Jesus is driving at more importantly here is in verse 20. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? This foolish farmer had provided only for himself and only for his temporal needs. And then whose will it be? So Solomon, he warns us in Proverbs, he says, Do not overwork to be rich. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly like the eagle heavenward. If you spend your whole life chasing money, it'll never bring you the happiness that you're looking for. It can destroy your relationship. This man is arguing with his own brother. And if you finally get your hands on it, is there any guarantee you'll be able to use it? And so in verse 21, Jesus applies this to us. And he says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He warns us that a sinful, covetous desire for material wealth will lead to spiritual bankruptcy. And he's showing that we cannot serve both God and mammon, money or possessions in this world. And he's asking then, where is your heart? Because for many, that money, those possessions become your God. Where you worship the creature, you worship the possessions rather than the creator who gives them. And so Jesus says, do not be covetous but serve God with or without your money. If you have money or no money, serve God. 
And so secondly, then Jesus gives a remedy to covetousness. That's our second thought. Do not be anxious, but consider. And the remedy Jesus provides for us, he says, is do not be anxious. Do not be anxious even about the basic necessities of of day-to-day, like food and clothing. But be content if we have the basic necessities, because we don't need any more than that. Verse 22, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And what Jesus is doing here is he's using what is called hyperbole or exaggeration in in response to this question to, to make his point here, to make his point very clear. He's not telling us to be so irresponsible that we don't care what's going to happen tomorrow, what we're going to wear or eat tomorrow. But he's contrasting with the rich, foolish farmer whose only concern was for his, his riches and his, his retirement fund, you could say, but to the neglect of his soul. And so to emphasize this, Jesus uses a strong contrast. He says, don't be concerned at all about your earthly needs. And the point that Jesus is making is found in verse 31, where he says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to seek spiritual things first and foremost. And he says if we're consumed by thinking that our life consists of our possessions, then we have have totally missed the kingdom of God altogether. And then we will die like the farmer did without an eternal inheritance. And we can take nothing with us. And we'll have nothing to enter into heaven with. And Jesus is showing that in this world, the, the, the worry or the possessions can cause the worry and the anxiety that he's warning about. We can worry about having enough. We can worry about not losing what we have. And you can see that, that there's a continual anxiety in our hearts. And so Jesus gives us the reason here why we must not worry. And why is that? He says, because God is the one who provides your food and clothing. And in verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. And you heard about that last week. They neither sow nor reap. They have enough food from day to day, and they don't have storehouses or barns, but God provides for them. Then in verse 27, he says, consider the lilies. Look at those flowers growing in the field. How beautiful. Even more beautiful than Solomon, he says. More beautiful than a king in in his best clothing. But God has given it all that is needed. But if you look back to verse 16 as well, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And you notice there, it has nothing to do with the farmer, except that sometime before he had put a seed in the ground. But everything after that was because of God. God had produced that crop. God had caused it to yield plentifully. But the farmer had claimed it as his. And so if God cares for the common things of this creation, will he not also care for you? You who he says has much more value in the sight of God. He says in verse 24, how much more value are you than the birds? 
Flowers only bloom for a couple days and then they're gone. Here, here it says they're thrown into the oven. They're used to make bricks or, or whatever it was. Flowers last for a few days, but you have a soul that lasts to all eternity. A soul that will never die. And Jesus asks us in verse 25, can, can we make our life a day longer? Can we, can we make our, our, ourselves grow an inch taller? And he says if we can't even make a, a, a difference in these simple things. Verse 26 then says, If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Yes, the farmer put that seed in the ground, and that's our duty, but it is, it is God who caused that plant to grow. And so we have our duty, but it's God who also provides for our needs. And so he says our value in our life does not depend on what we possess and what we, we own, but our value is found in God. And he says, and he repeats in verse 29, Do not be Anxious, nor have an anxious mind, he says at the end of verse 29. Do not live in suspense about what might or might not happen, but remember that God has created you. Consider how he cares for all his creation, the birds, the, the flowers, and he, he knows what you need. And he's the one who supplies all your need. And there's, there's many examples in history that we can go to for simple examples. And one well-known one, of course, is George Mueller with his orphanage. Many of you have likely heard it before. How did, there came a day when, I, I don't know how many orphans he had, quite a number, but there was no more food, no more food at all in his house. And, and the worker said, what, what should we do? He says, set the table, have the children sit down. And then he prayed, he thanked God for the food that he provided for them. And before he finished, there was a knock at the door. There was a milkman. He said, I have extra milk. Do you need milk today? Yes, please. And then there was another knock on the door. The baker. He says, my, my, my cart broke down. Or it might have been the other way around. But the cart broke down. And he says, I have to unload my goods. Do, do you need this bread and milk? Yes. And so they, the Lord supplied for them in a miraculous way. And the, all of George Mueller's life was was recorded for that specific purpose. He wanted to show the world how God can supply the needs of his people through prayer. But maybe in an example closer to home, there was a family who, who struggled to make their payments, who struggled to make their monthly ends meet and, and to supply for their family and for their mortgage and everything. And they said, well, we just don't have enough to tithe. We don't have enough to give to the church. But then at some point they, they had learned that we must give of our first fruits to God. We must first give to God and seek the first the kingdom of God. And when they first gave to the Lord their, their, their money, then they found that the Lord also blessed it. And the Lord provided in different ways so that they were able to make their mortgage payments and their food payments and such. They had, they had inverted their, their thinking. They had reprioritized their life. And that's what we see then in the third place, that instead of being anxious, instead of being selfish in covetousness, we must prioritize the eternal over our temporal treasure. Verse 31, again, it says, But seek the kingdom of God. And if you look up the parallel passage in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, 
It says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added uh, to you. It's a matter of priority. Why? Because verse 30 says, because God knows all that you need. All these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. God is our Father. Will He not also provide for His children? If God is our Father, we know this life also will end and all our possessions will be left behind. And so Hebrews 13 verse 5 said, Then let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Jesus goes on to encourage his people in verse 32. And he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we need that encouragement, don't we? We know that fear creeps in. We have a natural responsibility and a duty to care for our families and and, and there can be fears and doubts, especially in times of wars and difficulties. And we might begin to worry about what's happening in the world and with our government and what will happen in the future. What disasters might hit. Various things. And we can be tempted to worry or wonder even what the purpose of our life is through all this. What are we then living for? And at times it can seem so hopeless and even depressing in this world. You might even lose motivation to work. But Jesus says here, do not fear, little flock. He knows that you are little among the nations. He knows you are little among the powers of this world, even the powers of evil. He knows that you might become fearful for many different reasons. But... You do not live for this world. But you look for and hope for that eternal life. It says God will provide for His children. It says it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you that eternal inheritance. And that's so much greater than any material possessions that we can have here in this world. And if it's His pleasure to give you the kingdom of eternal inheritance, will He then not also supply temporal needs for this short wilderness journey through this life. So your value and purpose are found with God and not with what we can find in this world. And so do you see how our unbelief, how our distrust of God, our own covetous attitude for more and more in this world lives in all of our own hearts? We can so easily have our life so focused and on building up and holding on to what we can have in this world. Just the stuff. But we can't hold on to them. If you look at the old kings and the pharaohs, they were buried with their gold and with their wives even and with their animals because they wanted to keep it with them. But we cannot hold on to any of it. The first emperor of China... He's worried what would happen to him and everything that he had in his afterlife. So he he built himself an army of clay men, 8,000 clay soldiers that make up a museum now called the Terracotta Army. They're all guarding his tomb. 
But Jacob had, or, sorry, Job had the perspective right when he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We understand that, especially with our minds. But yet so often we can think like the foolish farmer. We get so focused on the temporary. We try to live up, to lay up our goods or in store for many years so that we can take our ease, so that we can drink and, and be, eat and be merry. But lastly, Jesus teaches us how to live as his children. For thought, we plant temporal treasure and produce eternal. So Jesus teaches that we have to be responsible with what God provides us. The foolish farmer seeded crops with the intention to gather for himself. But instead of gathering up only for ourselves, God says a proper response is to live as his children. And if we think of who God is as our Father, he says he supplies all our needs. Should not the children of God also have a similar outlook and a similar attitude? That is to help supply the needs of those around us. That we must plant a crop to provide ourselves with eternal treasure? How? Well, if you look at verse 33, it says, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And the reason for that is in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is always concerned here where your heart lies. And that's a question we started with, wasn't it? Are you seeking possessions on this earth or possessions in heaven? Because that will reveal where your heart lies. Because our hearts cannot be in both places. Jesus had said we cannot serve both God and mammon at the same time. Paul says our life is hid with Christ in God, with God in Christ. Is, it, is your life hid in Christ or is your life hid in your possessions? See, Paul writes about giving to the saints in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, and he said, I do not speak by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence for others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he came from the eternal riches and glories of heaven to come into this sinful world. Here he, he came to die to secure that eternal inheritance in heaven for his people. And if you say, if you find your heart is, it, is attached to what you can inherit in this world, have, have you then ever been loosed from it? Has Christ ever delivered you from that love of money? Or from that desire of covetousness. But Christ, he came and suffered in Christ. He came and died to secure the salvation of his people. To save sinners. And to give spiritual blessings. To give spiritual inheritance. Temporal blessings are given. As a temporal means in this life. 
But if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he never even had a place to lay his head. He never had a home. He had no property. But he suffered all his life long. But what he did have, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame and the cross. He had that joy before him of that eternal glory, that eternal reward in heaven. And that same joy is set before you who believe in Jesus Christ. The joy of eternal inheritance. So I ask you again, where is your joy and your hope? Where is your eternal where is your treasure? And where is your heart? Because Lord Jesus still calls all those to him who find that their hearts are tied and bound to this world that perishes away. And he calls us to him to repent and to seek life with him. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, you see how all those people, they they lost what they had on this world. They even left it by themselves for that hope of that eternal city and that abiding glory in heaven. And so your joy and your purpose in this life for everything you do is determined where that treasure is, where your heart is. That will motivate you and drive you with what you do in this life. And it doesn't mean that we've become careless and fatalistic in this life, as we mentioned. But Paul also makes clear in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13, that we're not to make ourselves poor so that other people might become rich. But it means that we're supposed to use what God gives us in a responsible way. That we need to help others when we can and where we can. And the focus is not to be on ourselves first. Not to focus first on our ease and our retirement or our uh, life. But our focus must be on the kingdom of God. Giving ourselves willingly to the Lord. And that includes the use of our goods. The use of our possessions. And when speaking to the Corinthians, he used the Macedonians, Macedonians as examples of their willingness to give to the needy. And he says this was showing the evidence that these Macedonians had first given their hearts to the Lord. By their actions, they were showing where their hearts were. And so God also supplies the needs of his children through the means of others who have enough. This is where also you can be of use and benefit to the church of Christ. And if we look at the apostles, they were prime examples of this. The first first disciples, they they sold their land in Acts 4 for the very purpose of distributing to the needy. You can read of Zacchaeus who who first was was greedy and selfish and a thief. But when he was saved, he, he turned that around and he began to give. You can read of Dorcas in Acts 9 who was known in the city for her acts of charity, for making blankets and clothing for other widows. And so the generosity of your heart shows the opposite of covetousness. A covetous heart is set on self and on on earth. But a generous heart demonstrates that your heart is set on, on greater things. And it reflects the heart of God. And John Wesley had 
given some biblical advice on how to live with our possessions. And, and he gave three simple rules. He says, gain all you can. We must work diligently to, to, to gain what we can. But we must save all, our can, all we can, not spending it rash, irrationally. But we also must give all we can. And you can read about this in your bulletin today. And also, if you follow the article, a link underneath, you can read the full article about his life. But the warning of covetousness here still rings loudly. Just because we give to the needy doesn't always mean that our hearts are right with God. Because you can see the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, who were also hypocrites. They gave a lot of their money, but they also hid some and lied to God in the process. Their hearts, their desires was still set on their own honor and on their own money. And under the pretense of religion, they were still covetous in heart. And so Jesus says, beware of covetousness like the man in verse 13. And so we need to think carefully about our hearts and about ourselves. Our hearts can be so very deceitful. We can do much in the name of religion to cover up our sinful motives. But we can also do much good for the kingdom of God. Our parents and our grandparents have sacrificed so much to pay for the education of their children in Christian schools and to build up the churches. And so are we also sacrificing our earthly possessions to gain our own souls and the souls of our children? Or are we sacrificing the souls of our children to gain earthly possessions? Are we using our possessions that God has given for the building up of His church and of His kingdom? Because if we're focused on obtaining or gaining earthly treasures alone, we will also be consumed with it. You'll be consumed with anxiety, with fear. You'll spend your life chasing it like chasing the wind. In the end, we'll have to lose it all, including our own soul, as this farmer did. And so Jesus says to us again in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And all earthly treasure will perish. But all eternal treasure will last to eternity. There there is peace. That can, that can never be taken away from you. And so I ask you today, where is your treasure? Because as your treasure goes, so goes your heart and your soul. Amen.